Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing energy matters in an informal setting. In today's pod, we return to the subject of power purchase agreements, or PPAs. Europe is currently facing some fairly strong economic headwinds, high interest rates, stubbornly strong inflation, supply chain issues and falling energy prices. How is this impacting the expansion of renewables on the continent, and especially the signing of power purchased agreements? Are costs mounting, but returns dropping? So helping me, Richard Sverson, to discuss these issues and much, much more is Luca Padretti of Pexapark. A warm welcome, Luca, and it's great to have you back on the pod. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me again. First of all, let's let's talk about what you've seen so far this year. What what are sort of the high spots or you know or or the the concerns you may have? Yeah, we came out of very strong Q4 in terms of deals, and we saw a very strong January already. One gigawatt of PPAs signed, but there are some clouds on the sky, and uh, what we clearly see is quickly falling forward prices, and this of course impacts. PPA closing, and that's a key discussion point. So what's happening to prices that you've seen? Um... Well, definitely PPAs follow to some degree forward prices or with a leg. And there are times where things match. And what do I mean by that? So you have the sell side, you have interest rates, you have capex cost, and then you have the buy side where you have a certain willingness to pay. And in the middle, you have a market where you have traded forwards. And in the best times of the market, and we had this, for example, in Q4, the sell and the buy side match on those fundamental principles. And right now, and this is when a time when deals really are flowing because everyone is happy, the economical buyers and sellers, as well as the green buyers and sellers. And right now we're in a territory in certain markets where the market implied PPA rate is below what sellers require. And it takes then corporates that are willing to pay a certain premium to conclude the deals. And this is, in some markets, a territory where we are in right now. Mm. And what kind of sector are these corporates in? Are you able to sort of say something more generally about uh, about the areas where they are wanting to, 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 to pay that, uh, that premium, as you mentioned? There's a, a very important segmentation which we need to do in, in the corporate segment when we say corporate PPAs. There, this is a huge universe. We have electricity-intensive industries which know how to buy power for a long time. They invented the corporate PPA markets 10 years ago, very price sensitive. We have the big tech companies, the fastest growing PPA segment in the market, growing 20% a year. They have very strong mandates to secure 100% green, and they will buy also above market rates, uh, implied market rates. And these are two extremes of the of the universe, and the market is somehow moving in between those. Mm. And with the the tech side, you you know, Amazon certainly has been very active, hasn't been very prominent in signing deals. Certainly at the end of and end of the last years, that's that. And but how about the smaller corporates? You know, the small to medium sized enterprises. What what's happening there, Luca? The market is expanding, so we call it the multi-buyer PPA. So we see this in certain markets being facilitated by platforms and market integrators slash utilities, and that's a key innovation for the market and basically just expands the possible universe who can buy because you have built the trust 
There is an ecosystem of lawyers, facilitators, of standard contracts, where smaller corporates feel fine to add in and constitute together a sizable offtake so you can enable another PPA. We're seeing this in Denmark. We're seeing it happening in other markets. And this is very exciting because the next phase of the PPA market is going to be much larger if you can facilitate smaller players, smaller buyers to enter the PPA market. And that's being done on a multi-buyer model, you think? So they're sort of being aggregating amongst themselves and then signing deals in that way. That, that must add to a lot, lot of the complexity to, to these deals. Exactly. So that's the key line. So you have transaction cost versus market of the size of the market. And initially, the PPA market focused on the very large deals where you have one seller, one buyer. But what we're seeing is the average size of the PPA is, is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. When you look at 2023, the average size was 60 gigawatt hours. It's not that much. And if you're able to go down that route to lower transaction costs, thanks to the maturity of the market, platforms, standardized contracts, we are able to lower transaction costs. And that's exactly the game where we're in now and speaks for the maturity of the market. No, it's very interesting. I mean, you you also mentioned, you know, falling energy, falling forward energy prices, as I also mentioned in, in the intro. Surely that's also an incentive for, for some of these companies to, to come in. I mean, they must be find that, you know, lower prices means that they're getting a good deal. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the market moves in cycles and it's a very capital intensive industries. So there are times when everything comes together and there's a huge deal flow. And then there are times again where market players need to adjust. And what do I mean by that? So if there is pressure from the offtake side on the prices, this ripples through the entire value chain on the O&M, on the margin you can ask uh, from a developer. And from the sell side, they look at it like, oh, what are my options? How long can I retain my permit? When do I need to build? So it's a very fascinating play, interplay. But what you clearly can say, if, if prices go down or go up, within three months, six months latest, there is an adjustment in the market. Always the big question is who captures the biggest upside or the biggest value? But clearly what we can say is there is ample demand for PPAs. The question is just how conducive is the environment to enable deal flow? I mean, I think, and, and you've, you've highlighted the, the, the falling prices, but isn't there also the case to say that liquidity in these forward prices is also increasing or on the rise after many years where it has been declining? And that also maybe, you know, would boost some of these contracts being signed, you know, that enable these these companies to to hedge some of that some of that uh, production it's liquidity and somehow related to that price volatility so what we clearly saw is that due to the price surge we had before the russian aggression against ukraine and then during uh, the war times we had super high prices but also super high price volatility and price volatility is is a cost driver for ppas so and this is coming down now so in the same way that prices might be going a bit down, we have lower costs of transaction because volatility is coming down. So this is the fascinating play of supply and demand. And just because prices are going down, it doesn't mean that the PPA market will stop. It just uh, adjusts and it goes on. And we have very positive developments. We have new markets. We have numerous markets which hit almost one gigawatt. 
in different price zones. We have transaction costs coming down, and this enables to open multi-buyer PPAs, which bring in new segments, which are willing to pay a higher price. And this overall then adds again to, in my view, a rather bullish environment, also with uh, the regulatory reforms, which have CFD and PPAs going hand in hand, and the European Union and the member states discussing measures how to support the PPA markets, for example, through credit instruments. And that's a real booster for the market. If you can support credit, that's probably one of the biggest levers you have to boost the PPA market. Because you you alleviate or you ease that risk or the counterparty risk in, 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 at a stroke. And that's obviously very good for for the for the smaller for the smaller corporates or not you know that could that absolutely boost activity there look but you know you mentioned the one gigawatt in of deal signed in January where where is this happening what 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 parts of Europe so overall we we have a spreading wave of PPAs more and more markets but clearly in the last four or five years like thirty percent of the deals happened in Spain and it has been the most active market for a long time. We believe Germany is going to topple Spain from the crown this year, just for the sheer magnitude of the size of the market. And also what we're hearing from the development side, there is real changes on the permitting. So it's getting easier and, and projects are coming there. And you have like very interesting effects. We just had an option in Germany for solar, it was way oversubscribed. The assets that didn't make it, they will end up on the PPA market. So it's like potentially leading to a spark in, in additional PPAs and investments. And that's why we actually believe real action will be in Germany. Although right now, the price environment in Germany in Q1 doesn't look too favorable for deal conclusions. But in the longer view, then this, this, is, a, this is a country where you, where you think there would be more activity than, than before. Absolutely. It's Germany toppling Spain from the crown. Those two countries probably responsible for 50% of all deal volume. But then we have in the so-called second league, we have so many markets now above one gigawatt that actually the, the growth is going to be quite well distributed across Europe. Yeah. Now, very, very interesting. Um, look, I mean, but there are, you know, you, you mentioned some clouds and I'd just like to, to touch upon one. I mean, you you see power prices now below what they were before Russia's aggression into into Ukraine and before the war started but but solar panel and wind turbine prices are are still high inflation is high so you've got the a rising levelized cost of electricity is there a danger that you'd see fewer PPA private deals signed and more going via the subsidy route I think it's a mixed picture. So first of all, it depends market on market. But for example, in 2023, a big driver was also uh, falling module prices on solar. So 10 gigawatts of the 16 gigawatts signed last year were in solar and continuously falling prices and the oversupply on module really helped despite higher interest rates. So it is a mixed picture. And I think it will be evenly distributed depending on how will interest rates develop? How will market prices develop? What is the appetite on the demand side? But overall, structurally, we're bullish. So I think in the end, if prices fall lower now, they might delay deals, but the market will adjust again to work on lower levels. 
And in the same way, if you have very high prices, it might be very nice for the deal flow in the first three months, but then the whole value chain adopts and prices rise through the value chain. The projects become more valuable. The, the operators ask for more. So you, you have both effects in, in either if prices go very high quickly or very low quickly, you have a certain overshoot on both sides. Mm, absolutely. I mean, we, we've talked before as well, Luca, about sort of hybrid PPA deals and the role of batteries. But, uh, you know, if, if, if battery storage becomes cheaper, will that impact captured prices and bringing prices closer to the sort of baseload deals again? Absolutely. So it's hard to imagine how the energy transition will work without storage. And when you look at, for example, the UK, more than 50% of the permitted solar projects already come with some co-locational storage. Now, storage is typically one to two hours, and we already see on the horizon that you might have two to four hour batteries. So this will not bring solar or wind to base load, but it cuts out the fat tails on the risk side. And this is actually what is very important is that you want to control the big risks. And this is why storage is so helpful and so important. But we, if we will be talking again in this podcast in three years, it will be just like 50% of all PPAs will be hybrid in some form or other. Mm, yeah. I mean, it makes absolute sense, as, as you as you rightly say there, Look, um, but you let's go more about what you've kind of forecast for this year you you've you've said that you you see a potential of 20 gigawatts which is more than what 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 was signed last year how how feasible is that target and 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 you 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 seem to be saying that that mainly will happen in in, in germany the biggest growth yeah uh, we definitely lean out a bit of the window and uh, as per our discussion uh, the mar- the macro environment is important with prices but fundamentally we see a bullish market for ppas so we would need to have 1.6 gigawatts per month so we started with one gigawatt we're definitely going to see a certain slowdown in q1 potentially to the price environment and then market adjusted again but the demand is so strong on the data side on the industry side uh, we have new innovations on multi-buyer and opening new segments that I would still stick to the forecast, although the likelihood has become a bit lower that we that, that we hit 20 gigawatts. Mm. I mean, we talked about, you know, low prices, you know, being an incentive for some people or, you know, or, you know basically a driver for some market participants, but it's also scaring some off, then you would be saying, or, or, or they need that period of adjustment to wait a bit, to, 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 to wait three or to six months before jumping in. There's a, a certainly there's a stickiness because as an industrial buyer, of course, you, you might like an environment where prices are falling, but this only to a certain degree because project economics need to make sense and at some point it breaks. And this is where it can lead them to delays of deals. And so in the end, they're all industry veterans. A deal still takes three to four months to negotiate. And we're used to those dramas since many, many years that prices can change over the weekend and it might jeopardize a deal. But that's ingrained in the nature of doing PPAs and it's just part of the game. Mm. Absolutely. You, you, you... You brought up the issue, CFDs and PPAs and uh, contracts for difference versus power purchase agreements. How 
can these happily coexist? You know, um, absolutely. It's the brother and the sister of the energy transition. Yeah. We always had <laughs> subsidies, and w- when you look at historic uh, figures, I mean, the subsidy part was historically always bigger. So it was like two thirds or even more of the capacity. Even the last years was enabled through some sort of subsidy. When you also look back where the PPA market started, it was heavily subsidized through green certificates in Sweden, in Poland. So what we see is that they have two different purposes. And you can steer much in a much more granular fashion the capacity built out through CFTs. But when you look at the design, there is a lot of carve-outs for PPAs. You give the option to combine CFTs with PPAs. You give preference to PPAs in a CFD bid. So we think they will mutually coexist. And when you look at renewable investors, they have a very structured portfolio of different revenue options. But what you can't beat the PPA market in is the flexibility. You can decide to go merchant. You can decide to do just a five-year PPA instead of 10-year and lock in significantly higher revenue because this difference between those two tenors, five and 10 years in many markets is getting bigger and bigger. And this flexibility is under your control. So you have an option to actually contract yourself, whereas on a CFD, you're bound to rules, to auctions, which you cannot control ultimately. So how does this relate to the different markets and technologies? Is, are some you know, more predominantly CFDs, others PPAs? Yeah, good point. So certain different technologies have different costs. So we clearly see that, for example, for offshore wind, it, it might be more difficult to do PPAs on a 10-year basis. But there, again, we have a different structuring of the market. What we see in certain markets is France or in the offshore space is that you have super long tenor PPAs reaching 20, 25 years. And there, the commodity element in the pricing is much lower. So you have deal structures that have pricing oriented more the capex side and that's another element how uh, you can diversify. So do you take more a market view just on the next five to 10 years? Or do you take more a project view having eventually a 25 year or longer view? And depending on which view you take, you, you might have a different pricing regime. Mm. Mm. Now, I mean, we, we talked about hybrid, you mentioned multi-buyer PPAs, Luca. Are there, are there any other kind of forms of PPAs that are, that are interesting. I mean, the green, procru- <clears throat> sorry, green procurement, green hydrogen, are these becoming more advanced as well? Well, we clearly see is an important role of utilities and so, uh, as we like to call them, also market integrators. So you have players aggregating different assets to drive home certain portfolio effects. So there is the benefit of combining different profiles in different price zones. And this is something which requires skills and system and and capital. And that's something which utilities and market integrators can provide. So what we are seeing in a way is also more bigger PPAs facilitated by by market integrators. So it's not just the hybrid PPAs and the multi-buyer PPAs, but it's also a very complementary role of utilities playing in the corporate PPA field. Yeah, I mean, how how are they introducing so innovation into 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 the markets then, Luca? 
they are trying to provide in the most generic form, I would say, value-enhancing services. So in the old days, we just had a seller and a buyer, and one of the each party was accepting the full risk. So either it's baseload or pay as produced. And they're actually trying to intermediate those risks. So they're saying, okay, you have this solar profile, but the client would like to have a certain fixed shape. Let us come in and try to provide these services. And they can do this by combining additional assets. They can do it by taking, providing additional risk taking and, and trading around. And that's exactly what is needed as it, it helps to reduce cost and in, in the end, getting more deals done. So you'd say then utilities are sort of specialists in offering tools for the management of price volatility for inter- intermittency and also sort of higher green standards. This is where they're, they're the experts. Exactly. This is where they can leverage their balance sheet, their trading skills, their risk management skills to the benefit of, of all the market participants. Look, already now, in every PPA, you typically have a trader or a utility involved and be it only for the balancing on the seller side or on the buyer side. So you need both parties for the market. And we've also seen, I mean, in over the last few months, you know, falling geo prices. Now, guarantees of origin are an important part of PPA deals. They, they the price quite highly, though, well, you know, over the over the last 12 months, but they've come down or slipped, prices have slipped considerably. Is this a concern? Is this something that you're hearing from the market that that people are sort of waiting and seeing what's happening in, in with the guarantees of origin prices? Yeah, it's of course, uh, it's one other part of your big revenue. So when you look from the seller, he has the PPA, 30, 50 euro. He has the route to market and balancing costs can be one euro, can be five euro, depending on the market. And then you have the guarantees of origin, which fluctuates heavily. But of course, those when we had six, seven euros, people were very happy about that. And it just adds to the equation. But overall, I think it is, we need to look at total impact on the on the revenue stack. And you need a team to be actually managing it. So that's a key theme, actually, that revenue is getting more complicated. So and a key theme what we see in the market is that many developers are becoming IPPs and many funds are adding utility functions and basically everyone wants to have a commercial team because there's so much value in not just closing PPAs but to manage them, to manage the residual volume, to manage the balancing contracts and to sell the guarantees of origin. There's a lot of money there. It's a very important puzzle piece of the overall revenue picture. So these companies are becoming independent power producers in a way, you know, absolutely. And you touched also upon the, the regulatory side. Is is Can you just highlight some of the key, the factors that will, that will be drive, that drive the expansion of renewables and PPAs going forward, Luca? So from the energy market directive, I would say the key elements are first, the standardization of CFTs and the role they allow for PPAs, for example, preference for uh, PPAs in CFT options, the uh, allowing sharing capacity. So you do 50% of the, of the project with the CFT and the rest you can do merchant or PPAs. On the PPA side, it is definitely credit instruments. 
So if we have some sort of market-based credit support where market participants can buy credit insurance, that's a huge boost for the PPA market. And the third element, which is a bit fuzzy, is how is liquidity being supported, like liquidity in forward markets through design of price zones. That's for me very unclear how regulation can help there because liquidity is very difficult to mandate. So market participants by themselves have to create liquidity. And if you mess around with it too much, the, the, the danger is that you could drive liquidity out of it and, and have sort of, sort of quite unforeseen consequences. Exactly. And we're, we're having now live experience uh, in, in the Nordic market with the change to see how this happens. And capital rules are very much important for that. And it's a very capital intensive uh, business. And this is for me very unclear how this actually will help drive liquidity. Mm. A, a final question, Luca. We're hearing, you know, from several quarters, both from individual companies, from countries, that they're, they're sort of rolling back some of the green ambition. You know, companies are saying they can't afford to make these investments anymore. Countries are rolling back net zero targets. And often, you know, the argument put forward is that it's become too expensive. Now, what, what's your view here, Luca? Is, is, has the energy transition become too costly or is it more a question of how you manage those costs? It's still not there. So yeah, when yeah. I started 15 years, the joke was physically renewables don't work. So this was proven. Then the second joke was it's too expensive. Now we've proven this as well. And now the third challenge or joke is it doesn't work in an integrated manner. So it doesn't work if you really go the full Monty and the market becomes predominantly organized around renewables. And that's the next frontiers. I think last time we did the podcast, we called it the energy transition wobbles. Yes, it will be difficult, but we're at this breaking point where we have to think more in systems and in solutions and not just in, in single deals. And that's a healthy debate. And overall, I think let's figure it out because in the end, as we see in the PPA market is you should allow market forces to play a big role. And yes, you know what? Most corporates are economical buyer. And in the end, this is a good development. It has to work on market prices. Luca, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for being a guest on the Monta Weekly Podcast. Thank you, Richard.